The reading is from Acts chapter 10, reading from verse 1, and then there are one or two odd verses at the end, so you can follow it on the screen. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, who had spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel 
told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? <clears throat> then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. We're in grave danger this morning because the clock has stopped. Uh, I might go on. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, you're well aware that there's somebody underneath here who will no doubt call a halt if I'm going on too long. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are ever with us and that you're always ready to hear our prayers. We pray to you this morning that we may learn from your word and that we may, may be moved in our hearts to show forth that word in our lives. For your name's sake. Amen. <clears throat> now the other day I was watching a classic Agatha Christie crime thriller on the television called Murder at the Vicarage. What else do retired clergy watch? <laughs> and it struck me, not for the first time, what stereotypes the characters in such dramas usually are. There was the bumbling vicar, his rather more with it wife, the pale and nervous curate, the peppery colonel and his pretty but rebellious daughter, the nosy old maid, or actually two if you count Miss Marple herself, but um, dim-witted policeman and an avant-garde painter who looked completely out of place in such a traditional village. 
With this sort of mindset, the script practically writes itself. No one ever acts out of character. And as I thought about that, I thought, yes, if the book of Acts had been written as a work of fiction, then this centurion, Cornelius, whom we've just heard about in our reading today, would have been a hefty bully with a parade ground voice. The centurions were the sergeant majors of the Roman army. They had to maintain discipline and keep the troops in order. And in the case of Cornelius, serving in a regiment on occupied soil, his concern would also have been to keep the natives under and snuff out any hint of rebellion. But in fact, we discover that he's totally unlike the conventional stereotype we might have in mind. He's described here as devout and God-fearing. We're told he gave generously to those in need and prayed regularly. So far from being a brutal oppressor, we learn he was respected by all the Jewish people. And that word translated God-fearing was one which was used to refer to many non-Jews in those days who were attracted to the clear witness of Judaism to the one God, in contrast to the paganism of the ancient world. These people hadn't taken the step of complete conversion to Judaism through circumcision. They weren't proselytes, but they did read the Jewish scriptures and pray to the one creator God they found there. So Cornelius was one of these God-fearers. He'd been humble enough to learn from the beliefs of the people his army had conquered. And we learn here that God honored the sincerity of his search for truth. An angelic messenger instructs him to send for Simon Peter, who's on a missionary tour and is in the seaside town of Joppa. Cornelius isn't apparently told why he needs Peter, but as he's a true God-fearer, he obeys the heavenly vision. And meanwhile, it's Peter who needs another revelation to prepare him for this encounter planned by God. For as we heard, a Jew, albeit a Jewish disciple of Jesus, the vision given to Peter is about as disturbing as it could be. He's invited to satisfy his hunger by breaking the most basic of religious food laws. Those unclean animals he sees are of course visionary ones, so he doesn't in fact literally eat any of them. But the arrival of messengers from Cornelius gives him an unmistakable meaning to what he's just seen. For the sake of the gospel, he's got to go into a Gentile household, something distasteful to Jews, and share food, completely impossible for a Jew, and do this as a means of bringing the gospel to them. Challenging though this is to Peter's ideas, he obeys and goes to visit Cornelius, and there he discovers an amazing new fact on his consciousness. Gentiles can belong to the household of faith without receiving circumcision and obeying the Jewish ceremonial laws. 
As Peter says to Cornelius when he reaches his house, I now realize that God accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Now, of course, this doesn't say a secret. A shockwave is felt throughout the Christian communities in Jerusalem and Judea when word reaches them of what has happened. And when Peter gets back to Jerusalem, he has to give an account of why he behaved like this. At the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 11, we read that the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And in response to that, Peter describes his vision and the words he'd received from heaven, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. He describes his visit to Cornelius and how the Holy Spirit came on them as he came on us at the beginning. Yes, this was the Pentecost of the Gentiles, an unambiguous demonstration that the grace of salvation through Christ was intended by God for all the nations. And so, says Peter, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Here, a dramatic step is taken in the mission of the early church. <clears throat> Peter's audience of Jewish Christians get the point and they exclaim, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. The mold is broken. The believers are no longer thinking in stereotypes. Gentiles beyond the pale. Salvation is for the Jews. No longer could they assume Gentiles couldn't be saved unless they received circumcision and obeyed the law. That no longer holds water. God is sovereign and his spirit has shown them the way. Now in fact that wasn't quite the end of the story because we discover later on in Acts and elsewhere in the New Testament that there continued to be some Jewish Christians who insisted on eating separately from Gentile converts. And there had to be a big meeting in Jerusalem to work out a basis of coexistence. But let's ask what we can learn today from God's surprise for the early church in the person of Cornelius. <clears throat> First of all, of course, we should realize that we ought not to make assumptions about who is being called by God into his kingdom. We may smile at the shock of those early Christians who discovered that God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. But are there people today whom we might classify, perhaps unconsciously, as beyond the reach of the gospel? When I was a student, we had a mission in the university. The preacher was that outstanding teacher and evangelist who died a few days ago, John Stott. And those of us in the Christian Union were sent round our colleges visiting students in their rooms with invitation cards. And I remember one person I called upon react in a very violent fashion. He seized a sharp letter opener as if to stab me with it. <laughs> I retreated hastily. But a few days later, there he was in the hall listening to John Stott. I should have realized that his very violence was an indication 
that God was already at work in his life and he was putting up a struggle. No one is beyond the reach of God's spirit. Cornelius, of course, wasn't struggling against God at all, but rather he was trying to learn more. And so we find here, secondly, that God honours all who truly seek him. Before Peter arrives, Cornelius is already known as a devout and prayerful person who gave generously to those in need. In the same way today, those qualities are not found exclusively amongst those who are already church members. Sometimes the goodness of those who don't profess any religion may put us to shame. And there are many people who pray who never turn up on Sundays. God's call goes out to all, and he knows each person intimately. His plans and purposes are being worked out in their lives, whether they have any formal contact with the church or not. It's the majesty and the mystery of the Holy Spirit to act in each case in God's way and in God's time. But thirdly, if Cornelius was already such a good-living, God-honoring man, what precisely was it that he needed to hear from Peter? You might say, well, he needed to hear about Jesus. But if you read Peter's words here carefully, they seem to imply that Cornelius already knew something about Jesus. You know, says Peter, the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. That suggests Cornelius, as someone who took an interest in Judaism, had heard of Jesus, the preacher and healer, whose ministry in Galilee and Judea had caused such a stir. He may even have heard how Jesus had healed the servant of a fellow centurion at Capernaum, which we read about in chapter 8 of Matthew's Gospel. Indeed, he may also have known that the ministry of Jesus had been cut short by his arrest and crucifixion. After all, Roman soldiers had carried out the sentence, and the centurion in charge had been greatly impressed that this was no ordinary man. But what Cornelius evidently didn't realize was that this was not the end of the story. Peter now tells him, They killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead and caused him to be seen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. That's a pretty powerful first-hand testimony to the reality of the resurrection. We ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And Peter goes on to explain that this group of witnesses has been sent to preach that the risen living Jesus is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. And everyone who believes in him, says Peter, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
This is what God wanted Cornelius to hear. This is what God wants all nations to hear through the mission of the church, continuing today what the apostles began. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, which Cornelius and his household received then, is the means by which all may know the living presence of the risen Christ in our lives today. Cornelius, like many decent people down the ages, did good to his neighbor and said his prayers. He was a God-fearer, one who lived close to God, and God honored his sincerity. But despite the influence of many such people in the world today, humanity as a whole continues to exist in a state of poverty, oppression, and suffering. Corruption mars almost every man-made system of government. Sin spreads its tentacles into every sphere of life. Decency is not enough to combat the power of evil. What we're called to proclaim as disciples of Jesus is a message of God's own action to redeem his creation. His raising of Jesus from the grave to bring forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe in him. And a day when Christ will judge the nations and remove what is evil, but welcome into his kingdom all who have received the new birth of his Holy Spirit. This is what even someone who lived as close to God as Cornelius needed to know. It alone has the power to save, and it's what we still need to know as a living power in our lives today. Amen.